Hey guys. Hey Rob. Hey Rob. Um, you want to introduce yourselves? No. Okay. Great. <laughs> Brandon, why don't you introduce yourself, please, to our listener? I'm Brandon. Brandon, okay, yeah, what... I'm. And what do you do, Brandon? <laughs> I am currently the associate pastor at First United Methodist Church in Clover. Um, I'm also now the director of the lead conference. Congratulations. You have, you're filling big shoes, really big shoes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Justin. Hi, Justin. Yes. Hi. How are you, Rob? Justin Halversma. Speaking of big shoes. Yes. Uh, I am pastor at Park United Methodist Church in Brainerd, Minnesota. Um, and, uh, let's see a big Duke fan and, uh, married with three kids. And I started the rethink Bishop blog, which eventually through all kinds of weird twists and turns has turned into the UMC lead. Yes. And, um, for those who don't know, I'm Rob Reinders. I'm a United Methodist pastor in the Desert Southwest Annual Conference. I live in Tucson. Um, I was previously campus minister. I started a new church in downtown Phoenix, and now I am actually transitioning my orders from elder to deacon and work full-time as a church consultant. Um, and I started, uh, along with a guy named Glenn Simpson, out of Las Vegas, uh, the lead conference. And um, part of the reason we're all here today is because we are launching, this is the launch of the UMC lead podcast. How excited are you guys for that? And I thought it'd be cool to bring the three of us on where we sort of have past, present, and future. I don't don't know. (laughs) All, all past, present, and future, because we're all involved in in some way. But, um, but yeah, maybe just to tell the story of of how all this came about and what we're hoping of all of this work we've been doing with a whole lot of other people um, is going to affect change in the church. How's that sound? Sounds that, awesome. That sounds pretty lofty. Okay. All, all that. Cool. All that past, present, and future stuff, you must have been reading Matt Rawls' The Redemption of Scrooge. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, you can you can send the check directly to my home. Yeah, I was gonna say we get we get sponsorship dollars for that now, right? Or else I have to just like <laughs> bleep that out of the podcast. Um so and you know, I mean I'm I'm an Abington author as well, so I feel like that should be a no brainer. Anyway. Brandon, we suck. We're not Abington authors. <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll get into hey, that Abington. later. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> hey. And uh, Justin Coleman. We have to give a shout out to Justin Coleman, our friend at the publishing house, um, and all our other friends at the publishing house, and say how much we love you. Anyway, back on track. Um, J- Justin, remind me, when did the Re- Rethink Bishop blog start? What year was that? Yeah, I launched it actually in, let me think, it was the 2012 General Conference. It was okay, right so at that, that time. 
So that was like, so the first lead conference was February of 2012. Yeah, so and I had we, been to that. Um, no, tw- Brand- what? Brandon, correct us. Was it, was it 2012? I thought it was 2011. No, 2012. Uh, yeah, I think Rob's right. Yeah, it was 2012. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Because 2012, you spoke, Brandon. That was the, that was uh, at the when we did it at the church in Vegas. Yeah, yeah and great. I'm going to be. We're going on year six now. Yeah, and I'm going to be interviewing Brandon about his talk because yeah. because we totally are recording all of these in order. Yeah. <laughs> so so this is not this is not the almost last interview for the podcast for season one. <laughs> this is definitely like the time very first on one. Right yeah, this is definitely the very first one. Okay, so so the conference and Rethink Bishop kind of started at the same time. And you did you say you were at Lead twenty twelve? Or the first one in Vegas? I was at I was at Lead twenty twelve. Oh man, I'm so embarrassed that I don't <laughs> I don't remember that. So did we meet, did you and I meet the year before or just a couple months before? Uh, I can't remember which refresh, com- refresh conference we had met at, mm-hmm. but it was before then. Yeah. Um, huh. And and then, you know, uh, you had started promoting the lead conference and I thought it sounded pretty cool. And so yeah. I signed up for it and I knew DJ. Um, I knew, a, you know, Josh Hale was there at the DJ. first one, right? Yeah, yep. DJ Del Rosario, is that who you're referring to? Yep. 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 DJ Del Rosario and Josh Hale, I kind of knew um from other stuff. And so they were going and it sounded uh sounded good, so I thought I'd go. I remember the fire alarm. That was uh that was one of the highlights. Yeah, the fire alarm that went off um mid, during the mid. Andy the Andy Matic and James King lead conversation, which I'll definitely bring awesome. up to them when I interview them because they haven't been interviewed yet. <laughs> um, yes, it, that was a great conversation. So It was. So I want to give, so let me back up. I'll give a little background on, on the lead conference, um, and then let's talk about that, that first conference, and then, then let's talk about Rethink Bishop, and then let's talk about kind of how those morphed together. Sounds good. Kinda like plan. Okay, and Sounds feel like free to jump in and cut me off and correct me if... If needed, so um, I was in campus ministry at the ASU Wesley Foundation as the pastor and director from 2007 to 2012, and uh, a couple years in, uh, our conference started a young adult uh, event that was held on President's Day weekend. It was called Relevance, and it was your pretty typical Christian conference, I guess, where. Uh, the folks who put this together uh, got a band, got speakers, and there were workshops, and young adults would drive in to Las Vegas from all over the conference, and a good time was had by all. Well, we noticed um, after like the second or third one that uh, I've seen some of my like campus ministry colleagues and some other pastors and some other leaders um, who work with young adults in the United Methodist Church were like, showing up, we're flying out to Vegas and, and we're like hiding in the back of the room. And, and I was like, Hey, like, what are you guys doing here? And they're like, well, we hear your conference is doing something cool. So we're here to see what we can learn. Um, and you know, maybe we'll bring some, some folks in the future. And it's like, Oh, that's cool. So Glenn who, um, ran that and I were talking and 
we thought, and I, I mentioned that to him, and we both kind of had, I think, the idea at the same time of, hey, if we have all these leaders who are, are coming in, why don't we offer like a pre-conference? And this was right when TED Talks were really starting to get super popular. I think they had been around for a while, and uh, but they were just really starting to take off, especially among leadership uh, guru, guru types. So we thought, what if we just did like our own kind of like mini TED conference for leaders in the Methodist church, specifically those who are working with young adults or have ideas of, of how to be in relationship with young adults. So, uh, so it was born and in 2012, we just put together something uh, real quick and I don't want to say simple. Um, looking back on it, it looks a lot, I guess, rugged, quick and, and rugged. Um, where we shoved the conference into a little fellowship hall. Do you guys remember how hot it was with all the yeah. lighting in there? Yeah. It, yeah, um, it was. It was a little <laughs> overkill like, with the lights. Yeah. Um, I, I would, I want to say like, but it made the videos come out so well. There are no videos. Um, <laughs> there are a couple, but they're not great. Um, so yeah, we had, who remembers how many speakers we had? Seven or eight? Something like that. Something like Sounds that. good. Let's go with that. Let's go with that. Um, yeah, and the whole idea was is um, we have plenty of conferences that we we bring in big name authors and and experts and uh, whatnot to come uh, talk talk at us. Um, we go to workshops to kind of learn nuts and bolts stuff, but uh, rarely do we challenge ourselves um, to to teach each other and then to actually sit and, and listen to one another and be inspired by one another. So um, that's how it was born. Not because we hate big name speakers or and authors and, and professors, but just because we, um, we want to provide a space for uh, people who are in the day to day of ministry to be able to share experiences and, and ideas. Um, so uh, five years, wait, did you, Brandon, did you say this is number six? This is why you're in charge this now, number by the way. Six. Yeah, number six. Yeah. Um, here we are. Um, so apparently, after that first lead conference, a few months later, a new website was born. Justin, tell us about that website. Yeah, so uh, I launched Rethink Bishop um, the same time General Conference was going off in 2012. And so the genesis of kind of the the website the blog whatever you want to say uh was uh in minnesota we have this thing called new clergy leadership academy so we gather together for these learning sessions and um kind of hang out and uh my friend jeff ozan and myself were kind of joking around in the lobby area um because i was was talking about we had the whole rethink church kind of thing going on as United Methodists. Um, and yet I didn't feel like we were actually rethinking church. Um, and because, uh, you know, all of our bishops had to be, it had a sense of, I shouldn't say they had to be, but it had to be it, like the sense of they had to prove themselves, right? There was this kind of, it seemed like there was, um, you know, you had to be a pastor at a larger church, probably had done cabinet stuff at some point in order to be qualified to be a bishop, which means often you know, they have, you know, 12 to 16 years of service with them. 
and uh, I was like, if we're really rethinking church, why don't we have young people uh, who are gifted uh, and talented uh, for the office of bishop kind of being elected as bishop? And so we decided to joke around that we were going to launch a uh, mock uh, bishop campaign, right? So we were going to do this whole bishop campaign called Rethink Bishop, um, where it was going to be uh, just having a, a young clergy person as kind of a parody. Uh, and so that just, that was in the fall and it just sat there. Um, and then when general conference was going on and there was a little bit of Twitter conversation um, and you're kind of seeing it, I'm like, this is the, the perfect time to actually launch this. Cause I had been thinking more and more um, my kind of understanding of, of how, how the Holy Spirit works and how God works is that I truly do believe there are people who are just gifted for certain offices and leadership positions within the church. Uh, and uh, I can remember at Duke, uh, I had a classmate who is like, we all knew at some point he's going to be a bishop because um, you could see those, those gifts in him. Uh, and kind of my thought is if, if the Holy Spirit works, why do we wait until these people are are in their late 40s or early 50s, why aren't we kind of electing them, training them, and then having years of service of where they can lead the church? And so I decided to think about it seriously and launched a video on YouTube and started the website, which was originally started to have um, each jurisdiction uh, and to kind of lift up young candidates who um, who had the gifts um, for um, that kind of leadership within the church. And that's how it was, uh, I kind of originally launched it to go. Uh, and that's what I was intending for it to be. And uh, Justin Coleman, right now working at the publish, publisher house, uh, sent an email to the, to the Rethink Bishop email address I had and says, you know, I don't know who you are, but we need to talk. Uh, and so then we started uh, having a further conversation because he had been thinking some of the, along the same lines. Um, and we began to think about how could it be something more? And so started the first kind of blog post was um, Coleman's, I think. And then we began to put together um, some some writers a little bit who would want to do that. It was mostly Coleman and I going into things. And so that's kind of where Rethink Bishop was. Rob, do you want me to go into how that converged a little bit with the lead conference? Uh, in a minute, I, I wanted to maybe the three of us talk sort of about I think the reaction to that blog and and maybe what that that blog became and and what it was um what it meant uh I remember so I'm I'm big into thought experiments because I I believe that even when we throw out big grandiose ideas uh even if they don't work out or somebody says they're impossible or you know we can never do that or we tried that before or whatever it gets us it gets us thinking bigger things. Um, it gets us mm -hmm. thinking outside of our box. And that's what I remember liking about it was like, yeah, what the practicalness of, of that happening, 
of of electing a 35 year old bishop or 40 year old bishop like probably not going to happen but boy was that an awesome like conversation and an awesome thing to think through because it made us think through our whole structure and our whole line of reasoning for why we do what we do or why we think uh what we do um and i just i just really i was drawn to it like immediately because of that but um i know it got some some pushback can you talk a little bit about the pushback well, I think there was a decent amount of pushback, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm not the greatest at remembering things because everything kind of falls into one moment for me. Um, but I knew there was some pushback about, you know, this idea of um, how arrogant for you know young people to to be pushing for this. Um, you entitled millennials. Yeah, right. And, and some of that pushback, some of that pushback even came from kind of the other millennials and late Gen Xers, which was it was fascinating to me. Um, but there was, yeah, there was pushback, and it, and I, I don't know if I didn't do a good enough job of kind of trying to help them understand. It really wasn't about trying to gain power. Um, within the system to kind of overthrow it, but rather a challenge to the system to kind of match our theology and our actions. Um, Because we talk about uh, in our membership vows and stuff like that, uh, you know, irregardless of of race, gender, age, um, and yet often we don't see the realities of some of these strong gifted young leaders within the church it's kind of left to you have to bide your time and i'm looking around at culture and we have we have high-powered ceos that are in their early to mid 30s people who are starting these radical movements within companies in their 20s uh and it seemed like the world was was living into what we as a church proclaim through our theology of how God uses uh, people of all ages. And yet, you know, we weren't, we didn't have that space within our leadership. And so I wanted to challenge that a little bit because that's what I like to do. Um, and it, it, there was pushback. Like, what did people want you to, did they want you to like take the blog down? Were they like, I guess no, in, I think they just. I guess in the end they won. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think. I don't think it was ever. It was ever like, you know, this shouldn't exist. But it, I think there's just more of a just uh, disregard for it. Right. Yeah, it just. It was. It was dinky. You know, I remember those first. Those first uh, months of the rethink bishop blog. You know, I can remember celebrating when I had a hundred views in a day. I was like, "Holy smokes, a hundred views! This thing's amazing." Um, uh, you know, so it's not like it was really making a a dramatic um, impact. And if anything, you know, it was just a small segment of United Methodism that might that at that time was kind of on Twitter. It was fully before Twitter fully exploded, kind of in the United Methodist realm. Yeah. So it was a really small, small segment of the overall church, a, a blip that 
went unnoticed by I'd say the majority of of the denomination and wider body. Brandon, um, do you have any thoughts thoughts to add here? Uh, not not too much. Just that you know, I, I was at the the same place as you, Rob, and then I was just kind of watching it from a distance at first, um, and then it wasn't until after Justin spoke at Leeds that he kind of relaunched it, and that's when I came into it. Um, but yeah, certainly like as a seminary student, and then as like yeah, I guess I was in seminary the whole time that it was rethink Bishop and then it changed to UMC lead while I was still in seminary. But yeah, there are certain, some, certainly some people that are like, you know, you're not even in the system yet and you're already writing for something called rethink Bishop. Um, and I think that it was clear that they just saw the title of it and didn't actually take the time to see uh, the reasoning behind it. And that it, it wasn't like me being an, a writer on rethink Bishop was not my campaign for the Episcopacy, but just me kind of sharing um, my experiences in ministry thus far. And I think that that was what Justin was, was sharing, that it wasn't just to try to get, although that was kind of the original thought behind it, it wasn't just about getting a young person into the Episcopacy, but it was about, you know, hearing some voices that maybe aren't always heard. Yeah. Yeah, so, so fa- Brandon's, kind of, Brandon's kind of talking about, like, rethink Bishop 2.0, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because there's, I mean, there's, there's how many, how many kind of, uh, it's been this ever evolving thing. So that original intention that I talked about, I would call Rethink Bishop 1.0. Um, and then that was kind of the beginning of the convergence with this lead conference, because I had applied to be one of the speakers at the second lead conference. Um, and I had this idea of, uh, it was sharing the same talk that I had done at Imagine What's Next. And that's when you, Rob, shot me an email and said, we have no interest in what you proposed. <laughs> um, you're, a, you're a horrible, horrible person. Uh, but we want to hear more about Rethink Bishop. <laughs> that's that's uh, word for word exactly what I wrote. You nailed it. Correct. Uh, he emailed, I, he printed I, it out and framed it. Yeah, I stand by my words. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I said, yeah, sure. And so I came in and I wasn't, you know, I was going to talk about Rethink Bishop and kind of what I just shared about this idea of kind of matching our theology with stuff. But then as kind of the, the lead conference often does, you hear these other talks um, and you're in this conversation with the people that are part of the conference. And as that was happening, um, because I didn't speak until the last morning session of the entire conference, um, as I was having these conversations and hearing these these talks, it was like, oh, wait, you know, there's something else. There's something else here. Um, and so I kind of called up Coleman and I'm like, so what do you think about throwing this kind of in a different direction um and kind of looking at it as a place where we have a blog where we bring together um these kind of young or younger thinkers to speak to kind of the to challenge the church to think 
new and to try things and to to kind of give it a new kind of hope. Um, and he's like, yeah, let's go for it. So then I ended up speaking about about that, right, of <laughs> changing yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> like on the fly on my speech, I, I said, yeah, so the website, I'm shutting it down. <laughs> it's going <laughs> to... It's going to relaunch, um, but to be a place where it wasn't just clergy too, but also kind of young laity um, with this idea of coming together to kind of share some of those those thoughts and ideas and to kind of push the wider church. Um, and then that's when, like Brandon said, we be like we began to build up this pool of people. And so I had been introduced to. Kenneth, well, I ran into, he was at that conference, Kenneth Pruitt. Um, what does he do? So, what does Kenneth Pruitt do? Kenneth Pruitt, what does he do right now? He's, uh, what's his official title? I can never remember. Uh, diversity and inclusion consultant. Um, yeah. Vice, vice president of diversity and inclusion of St. Louis. There we go. <laughs> Something like that. He works for a, D- a he works for a DNI firm in in St. Louis. Yeah, and he's a active that, Methodist layperson. Yeah, at that time he was working on a project, and he had gotten connected because of the Spark Twelve initiative. That's right. Um, he was one of the people who had been selected, and so I know DJ Del Rosario had said, "Hey, you should go check out this conference. Um, you should come to that," uh, and so. Kenneth and I um, kind of met there, um, and he had been suggested by some some people as the one of the people who could contribute in writing. Um, and then we began to build up this pool of of writers. So I'm trying to think the initial ones. <clears throat> I threw out a pretty wide net of trying to connect with people, um, but I know Rob, Brandon. We had asked Hannah Bonner. Um, Coleman was writing Josh Hale wrote a little bit Juan Huertas DJ um, I think April Casperson right yeah who else was kind of in those those iterations myself yeah there was a few so that was like uh, that was Rethink Bishop 2.0 so um you know, this thing that had started with this bishop thing had become something else, but we kept the Rethink Bishop site name. Um, yeah. Because it was still about this overall idea of challenging the church to kind of rethink uh, in all actuality. And so it, it still kind of worked, even though we weren't pushing for anybody to become a bishop. Uh, it was still kind yeah. of under what that was trying to do in its initial iteration. So we got, so that, that gets us through uh, 2013, I think. And it was, a, it was 2014 in Phoenix where we, things were going pretty good. And we said, Hey, let's, there's, it seemed like a bunch of the contributors were going to lead in Phoenix and we just thought, hey, let's have a meetup, you know, by the pool uh, one day and just just kind of, you know, hang out with each other. Um, is that how you, how you remember it happening? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. It was. We were and like, then, there was a whole bunch of us that were contributing. And so we wanted to talk about what's it, you know, where are we at? Where are we trying to go? And what are we trying to do? Um, and that conversation led to iteration 3.0, right? Yeah. Which um, was uh, UMC lead. And which we kind of hijacked, right? We hijacked the the hashtag from yeah. Was wasn't that a that was a post general conference thing? That was a what was that? That was I remember in my district I had to go to one of the churches and sit with like all the other pastors, a bunch of lay people, and we watched some sort of video cast from um, from Nashville, I think about I don't know what. Well, and it was called UMC Lee. So you can, you can, I might be wrong on this too. Yeah. Um, but after 2012 on Twitter, there was a lot of um, stuff going on around leadership and kind of discussions uh, and dream UMC, right? Twitter account was doing kind of those, um, they were doing those the, like, the was it chats? Mondays or whatever? They'd have a Twitter Methodist chat. Monday or something. Around, yeah questions or whatever and i feel like the the hashtag i don't know if it started there but that was one of the ways that it was often getting kind of in there because they did a lot of people were hashtagging umc lead and then it kind of i think continued to gain traction from that some somebody listening to this will fire off some sort of corrective email they'll they'll come tell us how wrong we are about everything (laughs) yeah of how of how we just absolutely butchered that um (laughs) and that and that's fine because like i said i don't remember much you know yeah well and yeah and and i think we we actually if i remember right we didn't leave the conference saying we're that we're going to call it umc lead i think we left the conference still thinking that it was going to be a relaunch or rethink bishop but then we were on a facebook chat one evening and then I think that's when um, it may have been you, Justin, said, hey, you know, what if we completely combine the two and come up the name UMC Lead? And then we searched up the whoisumclead.com and found that uh, a mutual friend was the one that, <laughs> that owned it. And so we right. gave him a call and he um, relinquished it to us. Well, we had talked about it a little bit actually at the conference about we we started the idea of what does it look like if we we merged the two together into kind of one movement um but we were talking about what would the 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 name be and one of the things that you know we talked about UMC lead and lead UMC and some of these things um and at that time we were kind of like you know hey this is a you know it's a hashtag that's kind of known as it's its own thing you know do we really want to do that and then what brandon's talking about we you know we're having this further conversation and then i was looking up and like umclead.com was already owned and so we were thinking about what if we did lead umc which is what our initial email address was (laughs) it still is yeah Um, so if you ever wonder why you're emailing lead UMC instead of UMC lead, it's because, because we we're, were going we're, to be, we're branding we were wizards. Be, that's why we were going to be, we were going to be pushing it that way. But then we ended up finding out and reached out to who owned UMC lead.com. And they're like, yeah, go ahead. Um, so we, can, so we got to this, it. 
so we got to this point where we we clearly decided that like between rethink bishop and the lead conference that there was there was enough there was some sort of cohesion happening there was some sort of overlap um you know what what was that philosophically theologically what do you guys think that that was and and why did we decide you know what it makes sense to join forces here and to you called it a movement and i don't know is it a is it a movement has it been meant to be a movement um i'll leave i'll open that up to you guys i'd be curious for brandon's take so i can just say yeah, yeah i think brandon's right yeah <laughs> <laughs> well i i think we were we realized that both the blog and the conference were kind of doing the same thing um it was a different context and a different venue um but like I said before, you know, when I came on to rethink Bishop after the second lead conference, um, I was just excited because I had met all these great people at the lead conference and, you know, we'd spend a weekend together and then a couple of them I'd change exchange contact info with and would occasionally call them or something during the year. Um, but the idea of this blog, it was like, hey, you know, these, these conversations can continue throughout the year um, through this venue of the blog. And so that's when I really kind of hopped on to rethink Bishop. And so to me, it, it made sense for the two to combine because there were, there was so much overlap between who was writing and then who was attending those conferences. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess I don't want to bore people with like the, the, like the practical technical aspects of it here. Like what, what, what were we trying to do? And I guess, what are we, we trying to do? Like, what was the point of, of all this? Like what, what, what did we want to do that was different that we saw wasn't happening in the, in the church? I mean, I guess I saw it as, um, you know, creating space while people were sort of volleying like accusations, uh, at each other. And there was a lot of vitriol, um, going on and, and talks of division and, um, you know, saying we're never going to get along um yet that there's this generation coming up of uh, of leaders and and voices who were like hey we're carving out creative spaces here and we're we're trying to start a, a new and a different conversation and we want to give voice to that i mean is that am i maybe yeah, being I, did i romanticize that too much no i mean I, I think that it's one of those things where when you look back you have a very different answer than when you're in the midst of it because because when it started we were just like hey you know, we, we just want to give space to certain voices because um, we didn't we didn't hear those voices at the lead conference and that were on Rethink Bishop. Like we, we weren't really hearing much from those voices in other places. And then on top of not hearing from certain voices, we also weren't hearing, you know, certain tones because that when we started the Rethink Bishop, that was at the same time that, you know, death tsunami was on everybody's vocabulary in the United Methodist Church and doom and gloom. And if things don't change, we're all going to die. And the the church is going to fail. And we were like, you know, how about we just focus on our own context and let's focus on, you know, who is it that, that we're called to be in ministry with. And so a lot of the purpose to me, at least for that early blog was just to, to point to the good that was going on. Um, it wasn't about trying to make any big argument. It was about just sharing the, the good that was already going on and pointing to those, those people and to those stories. Yeah. I think Brandon and I think you, you both hit it. 
Um, I just don't remember the order of how it kind of came <laughs> came to be. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. right? Um, but I knew we had specific conversations of um, <clears throat> wanting to show a different a different way. Um, we wanted to just speak and stand for from where we were in our context uh, or our thinking and not to have it necessarily be a thing of putting ourselves over and against a different perspective. Um, and that, you know, that was, a, that was a process. It, it didn't really start out like this is what it's going to be. It was through conversation and through blog posts and through guest contributors. You know, it's, it, I don't think it's ever finished kind of evolving. We're, we're constantly kind of thinking about how things have changed and our lives have all changed um, during that time as contributors and people who are passionate about it. Um, and I think that's one of the great things about it is it's, it's still trying to be, it's trying to be contextually relevant to where we are um, as a denomination, but also as individuals like that are a part of the church and have, you know, we're, yeah. we care, we care about it continuing to exist. Like we're United Methodists and, and we believe that there's, there's great hope in that. Uh, and how do we, how do we continue to speak to that hope um, instead of, you know, back in 2012, the, the upcoming death tsunami and then 2016, um, you know, a lot of the schism talk and, you know, the back and forth um, trying to figure out what's that, that other way, that space in between. Yeah. So Brandon, um, we're we're up to present day here. I I think um, you're you're steering the ship for the 2017 uh, lead conference, which now I've I've forced myself to get this published before um, <laughs> before lead. Um, it's going to be in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's our first East Coast foray. Uh, um, what's What's this conference going to be about? What do we have uh, lined up? What can people expect? And um, yeah, what? how is this moving this thing forward? Yeah, so I mean, every year with the lead conference, it's been shaped from year to year based on um, where it is, based on who was a part of it the year before, um, feedback. And so this year, I mean, we're still going to keep that that core of the conference, which is those those TED style talks, um, something that we changed up last year, as opposed to the first few years, is that not everybody is just going to give that full 18 minutes. Um, so some people are only going to speak for eight minutes, some of them are going to speak for 18, and the main core of that is just sharing stories. Um, that it's not so much about saying you have to do X, Y, and Z, and your church is going to grow, um, but instead, you know, sharing what's worked in their context and kind of where they've seen innovation. Um, and so I'm excited about the speakers that are coming out this year. Um, we've, we always just put out an application and this year we had about 40 people apply to speak. And so we've got people like um, Rory Blakeney, who's coming to talk about what the church can learn from the barbershop. And um, a couple of them are going to be conversations between two people like Brandon Rencher and Andrea Curry, who, um, are from North Carolina and Ohio, and they're talking about serving rural churches that 
um, kind of have different theologies and different um, political leanings than they had and how they've been able to, to navigate that. Um, and then we've got Keith Ray, who's coming to talk about um, his work on the border and with immigrants and kind of what that has to tell what that has to do with, with the church. And so I'm excited about the speakers that are coming and what they have to share. And um, in after each of the, the speaker sessions, we're then going to have time of people just being able to go into breakout groups to talk about what they've heard in the talks and share ideas and push back and see what it is that the, the speakers shared that they can take back to their context or maybe how their context is, text is different from what they had been hearing from everybody else. And then another thing that we're bringing back from the Phoenix conference is that we're going to be doing immersions. And so we're going to be doing immersions to some local ministries and nonprofits like Sharon UMC, which is right across from um, a mall here in Charlotte. And so they're actually going to be leveling their building and then using the new building for multi-use facilities. And so there's going to be a little bit of residential, there's going to be a theater, there's going to be a fitness center, there's going to be other storefronts, and then the second floor of that building is where the church is actually going to be meeting. Um, and so that's, a, that's something that's a little bit different. And so people can go and they can hear about the vision that's going on there. Uh, we're also going to be going to QC Family Tree, which is which is an intentional community here in Charlotte. And so we'll hear from Greg and Helms and how they've moved into the Enderly Park neighborhood of Charlotte, um, where there's a lot of gentrification going on. And so they're going to talk about kind of how they've they've fought that in order to make sure that the residents there in the neighborhood are being treated fairly, um, and that um, when you're talking about bringing in new developments, that that there's justice around it, and it's not just bringing in money and bringing in new money and booting everybody else else out and sending them elsewhere. Um, and then we're also going to be going to Area 15, which is a a business incubator where they've taken an old warehouse and converted it into storefronts, um, and kind of how that little nonprofit, um, but also some for-profit companies in there, and how they've worked together and kind of film, formed this community among the businesses. And then we're also going to go to the Harvest Center, which is doing a lot of economic development stuff here in Charlotte. And so we'll be able to go to the Harvest Center and the director there is going to give a tour of, of the Charlotte area and kind of talk about what's been going on recently. Um, similarly to a lot of the work that QC Family Tree is doing around economic development in the, in the midst of all this gentrification. Cool. And so that's, that's a new opportunity that is something that we did in Phoenix and it went pretty well. And so we're going to try that again here in Charlotte area. And then another thing that I'm really excited about is Monday night. We always like to do something that's different than just the typical talks. And so this year we have Dale Fredrickson and Sarah Heath coming in to do a poetry and art evening. And so Dale's going to share some of his poetry and Sarah's going to share some of her art. And they're going to, it's not just going to be a performance, but it's going to be interactive. And they're going to be um, teaching us how we can take that back to our own context and foster the arts within. Um, our churches and organizations and communities, and that's something that I have just given them free reign to do whatever they want to do at the evening, and I know that, that that's going to be great, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, and then the, the other big thing that we're doing is we're closing out, rather than just having a closing worship or a closing session, we're going to combine into a worship experience and dinner 
over at the Harvey B. Gantt Center, which is a center for African-American culture and arts. And so we'll be able to experience that center, um, worship together, spend time of sharing what we had learned over the weekend, um, and really should be a great way to, to close out the conference. Cool. I should probably register then. Yeah, you should. <laughs> Everybody should. <laughs> yeah. Um, great. Well, um, I guess just to, to close this conversation out, um, what are your guys' uh, you know, hopes and, and dreams for not just, I guess, what we're doing on the blog and with the, with the conference, but just for the, for the church, like, uh, we have some uncertain times ahead. I, nobody, nobody wants to quit. Um, but nobody seems to have, um, a way forward. Um, see how I worked that phrase in, um, you know, what, what, what can we keep doing? Um, what, what are you guys worried about? What are you guys excited about? Well, I, I think I will go ahead. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure where our denomination is headed, right? So, I mean, we have this kind of special commission, um, and you know, with the possible special general conference in 2019. Um, but one of the things, so I'm not sure. You know, we might split. We might figure out a way to kind of continue in, in unity. Uh, but one of the things that uh, we've been working on in my local church uh, is how do we live into the reality of being able to recognize we're united in Christ. Um, and it is Christ that's, that's brought us together. We might not always uh, agree, but we're always called to, to love each other. Uh, and and um, we're trying to live that out in our local context. And I see that as kind of, I was, I'm able to kind of try to challenge our local church to do that, partly because of how I've been influenced uh, in relationship with people from the conferences, but also from the blog. Uh, and we don't always agree, right? We have mm. different perspectives as, as writers, as much as some people might want to label us as very monolithic and, you know, just all, um, you know, progressive, uh, as we've been called by some, uh, we're not, uh, we're actually a very kind of diverse thinking group. There's a lot of convergences and similarities, but there's a lot of times we don't necessarily agree with each other, but we still kind of are on that journey together. And I think that's my hope for the wider church is that we don't agree. We're, we're not going to agree. We have, we have some fundamental differences in in theological thought um but also in kind of sociological thought uh but how can we realize that we're we're better together uh when we challenge each other and and share those different perspectives we actually grow um and so part of my my hope is that we can continue to figure out how to do that uh because i i've written a post i wrote a post I don't remember which one and when, but was talking about uh, the loss that that I would have if if the church split, um, because I have I have many dear friends on 
on the more kind of what you'd say conservative side. And I have many friends on the more progressive side and they each help kind of inform and make me who I am. Uh, and if we split, I'm, I'm going to lose some of that and lose some of that kind of conversation and relationship that we have to deal with and we have to figure out how to navigate when we're, we're together that I think ends up making us better if we're open to hearing those perspectives. Brandon, any thoughts or are we ready to yeah, I mean, shut this down? Yeah. I mean, I, I too would, would mourn if the United Methodist church split or ceased to exist. Um, but it's, it's really not my main concern. Um, and I've said that to some, some older clergy and, and it really like, upsets them to hear me say that but you know i because of the work that i've seen just in the field and you know from my time being at the bonhoeffer house and my time here in in clover um you know i've seen some great things happening and i i don't i don't see that those are just going to stop if if the methodist church splits or um whatever happens with it and so what what i'd really love to see is just more people trying to to work together instead of finding those things that divide. Um, and so I, I just love to see people find ways to build each other up rather than find ways to tear them down. Um, Cause a lot of these new ministries that are kind of bubbling up um, a lot of the people that have been well established are, are threatened by them. And that hurts me to see that, um, that, that those who have been around for a while and those established churches very easily could help to support these new ministries and, and foster whatever God is doing that's different in the world. Um, but oftentimes they, they see it as a threat um, that it's going to take away from their members or from their finances. And that's, that's not all of them. Um, but, but I, I've seen that too often and it really destroys me every time I see that. And so I, I my hope is that we can find ways to really listen to the spirit and to um, help one another to, to foster community rather than find reasons to, to divide. Yeah, I guess to close it out, um, and so I don't just leave you guys on the hook, um, it's it's interesting from a Western jurisdiction perspective, which is where I've been uh, all of my life, and we certainly have, uh, I guess you'd say, our own uh, culture here. Um, and uh, I haven't always agreed with what we've done as a jurisdiction, but at the same time, um, I think for us, especially around issues of inclusion, um, it's not that, and, and I don't, I've disclaimer, uh, I know this will shock no one. I don't speak for the Western jurisdiction. I'm only speaking from my, my perspective, um, is that from around inclusion, um, that's, that's a non-negotiable. Um, but I think what is, um, negotiable is, is dialogue about a way forward, um, and about trying to, find those places of empathy for one another and trying to figure out a structure or something, something that, that works despite our perspectives that can say we can walk forward um, together, but at the same time, everyone needs to be at the table and everyone needs to have an equal place and um, be treated uh, equally. Um, So uh, whether that's possible or not, I don't know, but I'm an optimist, I'm a futurist, and I think just because we haven't figured it out yet doesn't mean it can't be figured out. Um, and as long as there's still some people out there that say, 
we can figure out this really, really difficult um, problem, then um, I'm game for uh, let's do that. Let's try it until we've literally, um, you know, uh, run out of all the options. So that's my two cents. So that, um, that's, that's a that's another conversation we need to have. I think yeah. right is yep. a, a great conversation would be uh, around the conversations of non-negotiables, yep. right? And can we exist? Is there a way that people can stay true to their non-negotiables, um, but recognize that maybe we have different non-negotiables, and can we still? can we still find unity or relationship even when we have those different non-negotiables and when those non-negotiables are in conflict even? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, thank you guys for, uh, this conversation, uh, for kicking off this podcast and, um, the, the, the end of the conversation, uh, that we just had, uh, here is something I hope, uh, we're going to pick up on, uh, later in the podcast, uh, uh, during this first season of talking about relevant and current issues and events in the United Methodist Church. And uh, so sometimes we'll have a podcast where we have those conversations, um, and that'll be followed by uh, interviews with uh, presenters from the first lead, from our lead 2012, which was in Las Vegas. Uh, that'll be season one. Sometimes we'll just have interviews with um, with those presenters, and other times we'll uh, we'll combine those uh, conversations. Uh, and we're just going to experiment, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And we're going to try to keep uh, those voices coming that uh, may not be heard um, or may have some interesting things to say, and we want to get out there. So, thank you guys, go, and um, go register for lead. Yeah, go register umclead.net. Um tell all your friends. <laughs>